Last week was super fun as Lloyd and Rob launched us into our new series on John, and we're going to continue in that this morning, and I'm going to read our scripture reading that will be in this morning. It's going to be John 1, 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. This is the living word of God for us today. From uh, my back porch in Cottonwood, um, I had a, a negative test for COVID early in the week, but a little bit later in the week, I took a test and uh, it was positive. I, I want you to know my symptoms symptoms have been pretty mild. Um, I have uh, had a little bit of cough. The biggest thing was a sore throat and just feeling a bit of fatigue. And uh, and so, you know, we want to be careful. And this is a virus we want to be careful with and want to minimize the, the spread and impact. And so I get to take advantage of some technology. I get to record this from my porch. And uh, the team will put it together. And of course, you're watching it there in the worship center this morning. We are kicking off our next study, which is a study through the Gospel of John. We're calling it Following Jesus, the Gospel of John. And you remember last week, Rob and I talked about this. Why are we going to John? In large measure, it's because we want to spend a whole year investing ourselves in understanding uh, the implications of the revision to our mission statement and what those words mean. And I'll say them one more time. Our mission, y'all, it's, it's what we do. It's why we exist. It's the aim of everything we do. Becoming a community of people who follow Jesus with our whole heart and help others do the same. Y'all, if we, if we took that to its irreducible minimum, what would it be? It'd be two words, follow Jesus. And there's no better way to engage that, to, to go, well, what does that mean to follow Jesus than to spend a year in a gospel? And in particular, we think uh, the gospel of John is where we need to be. And I'm, I'm going to tell you why as I, as I do a brief introduction to the book, but then we dive into these first, <coughs> excuse me, these first five verses. Um, the first place we need to go if we're going to see why this book is so important and why we're going to be in it for this time is to not start at the beginning. I'm going to be there in a moment, verses 1 through 5, but to go to the end. And so take your Bibles, and I want you to go first to John chapter 20, chapter 20, verses 31 and 32. Uh, sometimes authors, you know, we study these books and the author's purpose for writing, it's kind of like putting puzzle piece together, not John. John just says it. I mean, this is perhaps the most explicit purpose statement in any book of the New Testament. Notice what he says, John 20, verses 30 and 31. It says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which were not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Two things to note. The first is this. John is writing with what I'm going to call brazen, brazen intentionality. Um, he has an agenda. He's not hiding his agenda. It's not a secret. 
he's just blasting out. Here's why I've written all of these things. And he writes to confront us with Jesus. He writes to, to, to present the reader with the reality of who Jesus is and calls the reader to respond to the Jesus that he presents. I mentioned last week that when you say, and he's calling us to believe, to have life, but in the Bible, to believe is to behave. These two things go together. In this way, we can say this, John's purpose is that we, we, would, we would see this Jesus and we would believe he is who he says he is and we would behave in line with that. So we can say it this way, John writes so that all who read this gospel account would follow Jesus, brazen intentionality. There's a second thing. <laughs> he writes with what I say is ruthless selectivity, ruthless selectivity. Note what he says. Now, Jesus did many other signs of the presence of the disciples, which are not <clears throat> written in this book, but these are written. I want you to flip over in your Bible. I'm just going to flip over a page. Look at 21, verse 25. John says, now, there are also many other things that Jesus did were every one of them to be written, I suppose that the world itself could not contain the book, that the books that would be written. Now he's speaking in hyperbole, of course, but what's his point? His point is that there's so much more, uh, much, much more that he could have included, but he chose not to. John takes what would, would fill hundreds of libraries, and he distills it down, how about that, to 879 verses. And when you do that, every letter counts. Now, because I'm recording on the porch, things are gonna happen, you're gonna hear things. And I hear my dog barking, so I'm gonna let my dog out so he can see that I'm talking to the camera, she can see. This is the joy of doing it like this. It makes it fun. So, 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 so ruthless selectivity. He, he's chosen only so much, 879 verses. And when he does that, I want you to notice it, it heightens everything he says. John's not concerned with order. Things are gonna be out of order as we go through the Gospel of John. His, the things he chooses and where he places them and how he puts it together, all of it has to pass his purpose test. And so for John, is it's this, will this event, will these words from Jesus engender faith to follow Jesus more fully? With that, we go to his first words. Go back to John chapter one. John one, verses one through five. <laughs> I, I've tried to come up with words and I can't to explain the gravity, the depth, the weight that these words carry. Many scholars say, look, the whole book needs to, be needs to be read. When you read the book of John, you need to read it in light of these verses. The first five. <clears throat> when we get it, if, if the Holy Spirit opens our eyes to see what John says just in these five verses, then following Jesus, I, I will say to you, it, it becomes not something you know we have to do. It truly becomes what we get to do. Uh, following Jesus becomes not like, you know, a, a, a drudge or a, an obstacle overcome or a hill to climb. 
Y'all, it becomes a feast that we're invited to enjoy. And it becomes a spring that we run to. We run to following Jesus because it's the spring of life that satisfies the deepest longings of our hearts. Now, in order to, to get the get the get these verses in their proper get the proper understanding of these verses, I need to take you to these verses, not just in reading the words, but I want to take you there by seeing a few images. Bear with me. In 1995, astronomers, astronomers they, they, they were looking up into the sky. And at this time, the most powerful telescope we had was the Hubble telescope. And it, it scanned the skies, and we saw things from the Hubble that we had never seen. But in 1995, uh, they decided to, to point the Hubble into the night sky. But y'all, not to point it at any object that could be seen, but to point it at a spot in the sky where there was nothing. It was black as far as they could see. And they had a hunch, perhaps if they stared into the nothing long enough, something something would be there. And so they took the, the Hubble's telescope, they put it on a piece of the sky, and I want you to look at that night sky on the screen you're seeing. They put it on a piece of night sky near the Big Dipper that was pitch black. And by the way, it was the, the, the spot they were looking at is the size of a grain of sand if you held it at arm's length. That's how tiny a spot in the sky they were looking at. And they put the telescope there and it looked in that spot for a hundred straight hours. And a hundred hours later, that tiny spot of darkness yielded an image that literally revolutionized astronomy and our grasp of the origins of the universe. It was called the Hubble Deep Field. And you're going to see a slide of the Hubble Deep Field now. Now, keep this in mind. You're looking at a piece of the sky that's the size of a grain of sand at the end of your fingertip the end of your arm on your fingertip. In that tiny spot were 3,000 galaxies, each, each galaxy containing billions of stars. In 2004, they, they decided to, to do the same thing in the Southern Hemisphere. Again, <coughs> focused it on this one spot. They did this over a space of 10 days. Um, it, uh, it was again the size of, of a grain of sand at the you know, on your fingertip at the end of your arm, that tiny spot in the sky. And it produced what's now known as the Hubble Ultra Deep Field. You'll see that now. And in that tiny grain of sand piece of sky were 10,000 galaxies, each one containing billions of stars. <coughs> On Christmas Day this last year, 2021, um, the, the, the strongest tel telescope ever made was launched. It's called the Webb Telescope. In March of this year, so just recently, in March of this year, the first images from the Webb were released. It's able to see farther than the Hubble ever could, clearer, more distinct. So it stared into the dark, a dark spot and produced Webb's first image of a deep field. And I just want you to look at that. I want you to see that. that. You're looking at a piece of the sky that with a with the most powerful telescope, you can't see anything. It's dark. It's nothing. But when peered into over time, it's revealing 
hundreds of thousands of galaxies, billions and billions of stars in that spot. With those images in mind, as astronomers are reaching out going, where, why is there something rather than nothing? Where does everything come from? What's the origin of the universe? We can now turn our attention from the sky to the scripture. And we'll let God speak about what astronomers are constantly looking for. Follow along as I read our text today, John chapter one, verses one through five. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God. And the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Go down to verse 14 because you'll note he goes from the word to he was in the beginning. And so to clarify who this he is that you already know, I'm sure, but we'll reiterate verse 14. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus is this word that was in the beginning with God, that was God. Now, why would John choose to start his gospel in this way, different than any of the other gospels, you know, genealogies, the Christmas story? No, 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 John starts here. Why? Because John wants us to understand the most important thing there is to know about Jesus. Jesus is God. And when I say that, I know I'm speaking to the choir. I want to suggest that our familiarity with, with just that truth, that statement, Jesus is God, has, has not bred contempt. But can I suggest it's, it's bred complacency, perhaps? How else, do you, how else can we explain why so many people say they believe in Jesus? And, and, and we would even say, yeah, Jesus is God. <clears throat> but, but if Jesus is God and Jesus lives in us, how is it that there's so little God-likeness in us and, and God-like influence in the world? And I'm not talking about Christians out there. I'm talking about me. I'm talking about us. John's telling us that the deity of Jesus, and that term deity of Christ is just a theological term to say that Jesus is God, is the starting point. This is where we begin if we're going to follow Jesus. Now, we're in John because we don't want to miss where we've got to start when it comes to following Christ. And John gives, he substantiates this claim of who Christ is in, in three ways. Um, but first, let me, let me speak about this, this broader sense in which he says, in the beginning. These words are freighted, just freighted with meaning. To a Jewish audience, if you said, in the beginning, they would go to Genesis 1-1. That's all, they didn't have John, you know, when, when, um, when they're here, when Jesus was around. And so they immediately go to, to wait, 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 the, in the beginning, those words are, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you know what, John, what has John done? John has done nothing less than this. He's taken Genesis 1-1, he's reframed it, and where it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, he said, in the beginning, Jesus created the heavens and the earth. And he's done no damage to the text. In fact, he's enlivened the text. He's made it fuller. He's expressed it more clearer. He's expressed what's always been true, that it was through Jesus in the beginning 
that all things were made. And here we enter into the mystery of the Trinity. We'll talk about this later, but just to say, we understand the Bible speaks of God as three in one. There is one God. He's three in persons, distinct persons, Father, Son, and Spirit, each fully God, but each distinct in personhood, but one in the essence of Godness. Now, John begins with three foundational statements about who Jesus is, and we'll touch on each of these. First, Jesus is eternal and equal with God. Verses one and two, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. Four times John uses that word, was. Uh, all four times it's in the imperfect it's in the imperfect tense, which simply means this. It's not that it, it, it was something that happened and it was over. No, it's in the present tense that means this. It has always been and will always be. John's saying at the beginning of creation, before there was anything, when there was nothing, when the earth was formless and void, when there was nothing, there were no universe, no stars, no galaxies. Then Jesus was already continuing to be. And he's always been. At the beginning of before time as we know it begins, in eternity past, Jesus has already always been. He's speaking of the pre-existence of Jesus, his eternality. When John says the word was with God, <clears throat> note here it carries two ideas. It tells us, first of all, that Jesus is distinct from God the Father. You can't be with something and be the thing itself. There's the distinction, there's the hints of the Trinity. It always also carries this idea of being face-to-face face to face. Jesus was always and continually was and always will be in intimacy in relationship with the Father. And then to, to, to beat a dead horse, it feels like after he's already said that, he just comes out and says it, and the Word was God. And, and I'll just say this to, to any who struggle with Jehovah's Witness understanding this verse, there is no Greek grammar in the world that would say uh, this verse is saying the word was a God. It, it's simply not grammatically true in the Greek. It makes no sense. It's not true in the whole of what the scripture teaches. You know, it's saying what it says. The word was not a God. The word was God. You understand, <clears throat> this struck me as, as I was studying. Okay, Jesus is God. Go the other way. God is Jesus. And this addresses, you know, the, you know, sometimes some people say, you know what, you know, I can believe in the God of the New Testament, Jesus, but not the God of the Old Testament, who's, who seems to be angry you know, and killing people. But this, this addresses that. This is impossible to say because if Jesus is God, then God is Jesus. That, that means that um, the, because the, the God of the Old Testament is Jesus. The Jesus of the New Testament is God one and the same. Now we need to keep in mind <clears throat> why Jesus uses this statement, the word, because that can be a bit confusing. Jesus is writing, or, or John is writing to two audiences, Jews and Greeks, Jews and Greeks. He's already captured the Jew, Jewish mind by saying, in the beginning. They're going, what? That's God. So he's got the Jewish audience. But what about the Greek audience? And he uses this phrase, the word. You know, the Greeks have always ask the question, why is there something rather than nothing? Philosophically, the you know, deep thinkers, the Stoics, Socrates, Plato, uh, they looked at the world and said, there seems to be a governing law, a, a principle that unifies all things. Why is it the sun rises and sets? Why do the seasons change? Why do things work in synchronicity? <clears throat> they believed there was a unifying, all-powerful, overarching principle, and you're not, 
and what they called that concept of that principle was the logos, literally Greek, the word. So in the beginning, he has his Jewish audience. With the word, <coughs> he has his Greek audience. And of course, as he explains who this word is, it will turn their world upside down. Jesus is eternal and equal with God, verses one and two. Verse three, Jesus is creator and sustainer of all things. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. Through Jesus, all things were made. There's nothing that's made. There's nothing it is that wasn't made through Jesus. And you gotta let that just marinate your brain for a moment. If Jesus didn't make it, it doesn't exist. Whatever exists, Jesus made, which means whatever exists, Jesus is over. I want you to look at the, 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 the deep field from the Webb telescope. Again, I just want you to see this. That's a, that's a piece of the sky that is the size of a grain of sand on your outstretched fingertip. There are 10,000 galaxies there, and each one with 100 billion stars, each galaxy with 100 billion stars. Are you, that's there. And when there was nothing, it was Jesus that brought that into being. You know, honestly, we, we, we understand this. When we read that Jesus speaks a word and calms a storm, that's like, Oh, of course. I mean, look what he did with the galaxies. What's a hurricane <laughs> to Jesus and who he is? Paul says in Colossians 1, 16 and 7, for by Jesus, all things were created. This is the New Testament reaffirming what John says and reaffirming what's spoken in Genesis. For by Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created by him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Can I say, when Jesus, this Jesus says, follow me, what are you going to say? What, what can we say? What could we do? What can we do? If he is who he says he is, who John says he is. He's eternal and equal to God. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. Third, he's the source of life and light of men. We're gonna be covering all this much more in much more detail over the coming months. <coughs> Excuse me. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus the origin of life. Why, why is life? Why is there life? Why do things live? Why are you living and breathing right now? Why does your heart beat? You go, well, the, the physical electricity. Why is there physical electricity creating the heartbeat in you? Why are your lungs functioning? Why is there something rather than, where does life come from ultimately? Scripture tells us it's Jesus. And it's not just physical life, but as we'll see, most importantly, it's physical life matters, but, but it, also, it only matters in connection with eternal life, spiritual life. And Jesus is the source of spiritual life, life everlasting. Why is it that Jesus can speak to a dead man? A man who has no, no, I mean, he's dead. There's no life. 
get, could pump electricity him all you want. It would, he, would not, he would not come back to life. He's gone. But Jesus speaks and he lives. Why? Because Jesus himself is life. Life is in him. John mentions the darkness did not comprehend the light. Uh, the word comprehend there is more accurately translated overpower. And I do hear this noise, a little construction, uh, bear with me. In, in, in other words, darkness and sin, all that's contrary to God, which is what darkness represents, did not extinguish the light. And because the light continues to shine, it's so important here. Everything prior to this is, is, past, is, is in a sense, past tense, but here it says, and, and the light shines, present tense, the light continues to shine. John is telling us the darkness cannot extinguish the light. What John's saying is that the reality that Jesus is, the etern is eternal and equal with God. He's the creator and sustainer of all things. He's the only source of life and light for humanity. These are the truest things in the universe and will remain true regardless of the response of humanity. There is no darkness, and listen, not even the greatest darkness, death itself, that can stop or hinder the reality of Jesus. The truth that Jesus is God, <clears throat> he's God in the flesh, come to save us from our sin and to give us life. Beyond the heartbeat, beyond brain waves, but to give us life as God intended. I want you to pause for a moment and I want you to answer two questions. I'm gonna adapt these from our questions we have in our John bookmark. So here, here's where we'll, we'll pause, we'll apply, we'll, we won't leave here without thinking about what this means. What is this text telling you about the nature of Jesus? And what does this require of me? I want you in these moments, here's what I'd like you to do. It's just five verses. I want you to pause and I want you to read those five verses. I want you to read through those five verses three times. On your own, silently, bow your head, read through those three verses slowly three times and answer the question, what's this text telling me about the nature of Jesus? And what does this require of me? We're gonna give you a few minutes to do that. Uh, in a few moments, the worship team will come out as you're pondering this question of application. And then in a moment, <clears throat> we're gonna respond corporately. We're gonna respond biblically. How would we respond to this? But by worship. Worship is response. All God reveals himself to be. As John has revealed to us who Jesus is, what can we do but worship? For now, pause, read the five verses. Read them three times. What is it telling you about the nature of Jesus? And you answer the question, what does this require of you?